everyone, and welcome to Seven Mile Chats, a podcast where each week I, Julia Struckley, talk with someone about a scripture verse of their choosing, and we look at that scripture from different angles. I'm a scripture teacher at a Catholic school, I've been a youth minister, and I have a master's in theology, but the purpose of this podcast is just to have a conversation about scripture and try to apply it to today's world. And today I'm walking and talking with someone who I've actually met in person. She volunteers at the parish that is affiliated with uh, the school that I teach at, St. Bridget's in Richmond. Um, She's done everything from youth ministry to Bible studies to music ministry. It's Anne-Marie Conlon. Welcome, Anne-Marie. Hi. How are you doing, Julia? I'm doing great on this summer day. Summer is my favorite time of year, I think, as a teacher. (laughs) How how are you enjoying summer so far? Good. Summer is my busy time of year because I'm involved with a mission trip program called Catholic Heart Work Camp. So um, that's that's actually my busy season where it's your you're not as busy. <laughs> I know. I, I used to be in youth ministry, so I totally feel that it's the time where the kids are at home and you know they're looking mm-hmm. for stuff to do. And so, um, why don't you tell us a little bit more about all that you do in your in your background in ministry? Sure. So um, I actually have an interesting upbringing where. I went to both the Roman Catholic Church and the Maronite Catholic Church, mm. um, which are both under the Pope, but um, are, are slightly different in some of the cultural aspects. So my background is that I'm Lebanese, and mm. um, I really love that I had that broad breadth of just different types of experiences, you know, um, Aramaic chant, Gregorian chant, folk music, um, just on the musical level. And then even things like the charismatic movement. And so um, my parents were really great about exposing us to so many different charisms in the Catholic Church, adoration and rosary and all these different things, um, which gives, I have the advantage of um, seeing the, some of the breadth of what we are able to experience as Catholics. So I think that's um, one unique aspect. And then I was a biblical studies major in, um, college and then went to law school. So that sort of um, gave me a different perspective on looking at at scripture, both from a faith aspect and an academic one, similarly to you. Yeah. And I, I love that you mentioned your law background because we are getting into Deuteronomy today. And so that is literally means second law. It's, we're going to get into it. And I, I love that you picked this verse. So what I'm going to have you do next is read the verse that you've chosen. Like I mentioned, we're doing Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 and 20. So if you could read those verses for us. Absolutely. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and cleaving to him. For that means life to you and length of days that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. Okay. So I'm going to just kind of give a, like a brief kind of context of like where we're at in Deuteronomy in the book, and then we will see where the spirit leads and the conversation takes us. So it's the last, Deuteronomy is the last book in the Torah, the last book of law. Um, And we've discussed a little bit from Deuteronomy on this podcast in the second season, where we talked about uh, the connection um, in chapter six to the greatest commandment in the New Testament. And we're going to, I think, probably get into a little bit of that here too, as well, because chapter 30, in my heading, it says like God's command is clear. So Throughout Deuteronomy, we're talking about laws that people are setting up 
their their society and their structure from when they get to the promised land. And this is um, a, still a book of Moses. Um, so Moses is still our main character here. But um, my first question for all of my guests is why did you choose this verse, Amory? Well, I chose this verse because um, I think it's so beautiful how Moses, you know, he isn't going to go into the promised land, mm -hmm. but these are his like final words to the people. And he's reminding them, you have this choice. And, and I love this verse because it is threaded through all of scripture. We can go all the way back to the beginning to Genesis chapter two. And I love that there's, you know, God created the garden and he put these trees for eating and then he put two trees. He put the tree of life and he put the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And what God says to Adam and Eve, even from the beginning is, if you eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it will mean death to you. So from the very beginning, God tells man, you have this choice, life and death, blessing and curse, choose life. And what do we do? So often we're tempted to choose death. And what is death? It's making ourselves God. It goes back to exactly what you said. It's the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you know, have no gods before me. So to me, threaded through all of scripture, the choices, will we let God be God and will we trust God? Because the sixth grade boys, that that's their theme. Trust. It's all about trust. Um, so will we trust God to be God or do we want control ourselves? So that that's why. No, I mean, I think I love that you're bringing out like this, this thread and this connection all the way back from Genesis. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, Moses, we've seen throughout like Exodus and these books of the Torah um, that the people struggle with choice. And like you said, it also relates to us today. So I can't wait to hear you. Like maybe we can dive in first to kind of the choices that the people are making at the time and mm -hmm. maybe what Moses is like directly kind of saying to them, and then we can certainly connect it to today. So do you want to give a little more insight as to where, like what's, what they've been through and how this sure. connects to choice? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Um, so um, it connects to choice and it connects again to trust. Are we going to trust God? That's really the choice. Will we choose to let God be God? And so, you know, the Israelites were enslaved for, for over 400 years. And during that time, not only were they enslaved and they needed to be taken out of Egypt, but all the influence that Egypt had on them for all those years and all those generations, that needed to be take out, out, taken out of them because they had assimilated to the culture in many respects and they had mixed their faith with the pagan faith. And if you look at all those plagues that they go through, really those are all symbolic of all the um, pagan gods, right? And the, mm -hmm. the God, the true God is God over all those gods. So they go into this desert and, um, you know, during this 40 years, the whole point is to trust. Do you trust? Do you trust, you know, why do they only get enough manna for the day? So they are learning, they are learning time and time again that they can rely on God. They don't get more than they need. They only get what they need for that day. Um, you can take that right to the, our father, give us this day, our daily bread. It continues, same theme is God gives us what we need as we go so that we learn over time that we can trust God, that God is always going to provide what we need. And through these years in the desert, they keep learning that and they keep messing up as we all do, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's not any different for us. Um, and uh, over time, the, the idea is that they are going to learn to trust God. And, I, and one of the really interesting things is we often talk with the kids about 
what did Moses do that made it so he couldn't go to the promised land? And I'm not sure if you'll agree with me, but people go, well, he hit the stone. And I'm like, "Mm, Mm. listen to what he said. He said he takes credit for taking. That's the key. Moses, when he that second time he brings water from the stone, he is saying he's bringing water from the stone. Mm -hmm. Shall we? He's equating himself with God. God just spent 40 years teaching these people to trust him. Mm-hmm. If Moses brings them into the promised land, they're going to think Moses is the one who did all this, but it isn't Moses. It's, it's God. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it's really all about learning to let God be God and, and not trying to think we can do it ourselves. I'm Does so glad sense? that you, yeah. And I'm so glad that you brought that part up because you mentioned this is kind of his parting words. He's not mm-hmm. going to be able to enter the promised yeah. land with them. And then the kids always are like, wait, what, why, why can't he? And I'm like, well, it goes back to the rock, which you just mentioned. Yeah. And I think that story of the rock, it is hard for the sixth graders to understand. I guess mm-hmm. I've always kind of looked at it as like the obedience thing for me. It's like God and Moses have been so tight for all this time and God has done so many things. And it's like, Moses still wasn't obeying and, you know, and they were so close, you know, let alone the Israelites, as you mentioned, not obeying God over and over again. But I like mm-hmm. how your interpretation of that too, that um, we see Moses struggle. I've had a couple episodes about Exodus and like Moses does struggle feeling like he needs to take everything on himself. Um, and, you know, where instead of relying on Aaron or his father-in-law or something, you know, so I think mm-hmm. that you're right. I think it is, it's both like it's, Moses wanting to take control and then also just like him kind of disobeying God. I don't know if that makes sense. Well, yeah, because one leads to the other. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. It's when we lose our focus of God as, as the one that is Lord over us, right? Who you can only have one Lord that takes us right back into the gospels. Then Mm -hmm. where Jesus says who, who you can only have one master. Who's your master. Right. So um, is it your own desires or is it, God's desires. And mm-hmm. it's, it is hard. I mean, we can sit there and go, it's easy to go, of course I want God. But I think the problem is that it becomes more and more challenging because the, as we go through our lives today and, and then, um, it doesn't what the choice to choose God from a worldly perspective doesn't look like success. Mm-hmm. Doesn't look like joy necessarily. Sometimes it looks like suffering. To, and, and that's why Jesus says, you know, are you going to take up your cross and follow me? You know, uh, one of the really interesting things, and I know I'm just jumping around here, but if we go to the bread of life discourse, you know, Jesus shares that he is the body and blood and that you have to partake of this. And what happens? You have a choice. Mm-hmm. Are you going to stay for the truth or are you going to choose the opposite? And people walked away. And in that moment, Jesus says to his 12 disciples, will you also leave? Are you going to choose to walk away too? And Peter says, Lord, to whom else we go? You have the words of life, life, right? We're going to choose life. But in that same moment, the very next verse tells us that Judas, that's where the seeds were planted that led Judas away. He could not surrender to what God's plan was. He wanted it to be his will. So I think all, you just see this theme all through scripture, all over the place. And, um, and I think it's the same challenge we have today in our world. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. That's one of the reasons I love teaching the Old Testament is because these characters, they are so relatable. And unfortunately, we still struggle with the, the same 
problems, but I think that's what makes scripture so beautiful is that it is the living word and it speaks to us still today. So one of the reasons I know you picked this passage is that you think it is so relevant, um, mm-hmm. you know, for us today. I wondered if you could speak a little bit more about the, like the significance of this passage for us today. Yeah, I, I, I can, because I think as, <laughs> and it goes a little bit to like what I was just saying that, mm-hmm. you know, every choice that we make, every single one, we're either choosing life or we're choosing death. And we don't think of it that way, but we're choosing to say, God, I'm going to surrender to your will. God, I want you to be Lord of my life. Or we're saying, um, my vision, my, my will, God, not yours. Um, it's just the same choice Adam and Eve made in the garden. When they took from the tree, it wasn't about a piece of fruit. It was about my will, not your will, God. Mm-hmm. I want to be the one to define what is good and evil. I want to be the one in control of that. And I think for us, even in the little choices of our life, and that may seem abstract, but in our relationships, do we allow our faith to permeate our relationship? In our schoolwork or in our job, do we allow the values that Christ teaches to permeate all of that? Or do we section that off for ourselves and say, well, here on Sunday is where I praise God, but here in this relationship or this friendship or this business dealing that doesn't pertain, but God says it pertains to all of it. And if you're going to follow me, you got to give it all to me. And I think the, the closer we get to Christ, the more his love, and I think it's his love shines into our hearts and reveals those places that we didn't even necessarily know where we were putting our will before God's will. So I think it's that journey, that metanoia over and over, turning to God, growing, converting over and over, those conversion experiences of realizing the things that we cling to, the times we choose the tree of death instead of the tree of life, the time we choose the curse instead of the blessing. And God allows us to have some of those repercussions of those poor choices to convict our hearts and allow us to turn back. Uh, in, in school, you see that, right? You don't study for a test. <laughs> you get a bad grade. It doesn't do you any good if you give everybody A's because then people don't learn that they have to mm-hmm. do the work to um, stretch their minds and grow and see things from different perspectives. Yeah, I think that's a really good application. I obviously can relate to the teacher part, but I think mm-hmm. a lot of, like you mentioned, we want to teach our kids like when you do make a poor choice, when you do choose the death, the figurative over mm-hmm. um, or the sin over um, God, like that there are consequences. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we and I don't know if you agree with this or not, but I feel like we live in a world today where we struggle with consequences. Like I see it sometimes with um, parents like you know, maybe they don't agree with the consequences that we've given their child or they don't think that the child is deserving of the consequence. Um, and I see that. I think that's like a, a theme in our society as well. I don't know if you would agree with that, that we struggle uh, with that. Sure. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that that is that is an issue that it, it, it's a temptation, right? Mm-hmm. We don't want our kids to experience pain. But I think that's the difference between like conviction, which is what the Holy Spirit is called to do in our hearts. We're, we're supposed to feel bad when we do something wrong because it's supposed to allow us to change and grow mm-hmm. and, and, and learn. But if there's, if everything's okay and everything's mm-hmm. acceptable, how do we change and learn and grow, right? Mm-hmm. There have to be consequences and that isn't mean or vindictive. 
that's the natural repercussions of our actions. So there are consequences. If I eat poorly, I'm going to feel kind of bad if I eat like Mm -hmm. a dozen cookies, right? Mm -hmm. And and I may not want to feel bad, but that that's going to keep me from eating a dozen cookies the next time. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I think culturally the idea is comfort is so important that we put comfort above, above growth and above change and above, um, and above, you know, learning and, and, Mm -hmm. and being convicted. We don't see the societally that's not beneficial. And um, that's why the tree of life doesn't look the way we expect it to, right? Mm -hmm. The tree of life is the crucifix, right? If you look in the book of Acts, um, you see reference to it in Philippians. The tree of life is actually the crucifix. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to think of it that way, you know? No, I think that's so well said. You, the, I love the point that you made about that we often, and it makes sense. Like, of course, we're going to want to choose comfort mm-hmm. over something that might be painful or, or suffering. But then I guess that goes back to kind of what you were saying earlier about when we're choosing life, we're choosing death. If we're choosing life, if we're choosing Christ, then that is also choosing the cross. And that mm-hmm. does bring some suffering. And I think that's why Christianity and uh you know, it is so countercultural. I don't know if you wanted to respond to that. But. Yeah. And I don't think it's just countercultural today because mm-hmm. let's look at the Old Testament. If you look at Job, if you look at, you know, the philosophy in Jesus's time as well was that if you were a good person and you did the right thing, then things would be good. So if something bad happened to you, it was because you sinned. You did something wrong. You must have deserved it. It was a great cultural insulator. Mm-hmm. Because what it allowed people to say was, well, something bad's happening to that person. So they must have done something wrong. I'm a good person. So nothing bad will happen to me. And it allows people to insulate themselves from other people's pains. And and, and that's truly what Job talks about. And so <clears throat> Jesus has that same discussion with his disciples in the gospel of John. They're walking in to an area and there's a man that's been born blind from birth and the disciples say to Jesus, is he blind because of his sin or his Mm -hmm. parents' sin? And Jesus's answer is neither. It's so that the glory of God may be shown through that. Culturally, then and now, that's a flip on its head. The idea that the suffering that we go through by making the right choices or the suffering that we go through through no fault of our own is the avenue through which God can work to point others to God, to show God's glory, to um to reveal something that is true mm-hmm. that that's always been countercultural that's not unique to today but it is also true and we can look all through scripture and see that look at Romans 8 everything works for good for those who love God and live according to his word you look at Romans 5 that talks about we boast of our afflictions because mm-hmm. um afflictions um bring endurance and endurance proven character and proven character hope it's not a hope of butterflies and balloons that (laughs) nothing bad will ever happen it's a knowledge that we aren't alone in it that's what our faith gives us it does not give us an insurance policy but rather i think it gives us that knowledge that we don't walk through those sufferings alone and those sufferings aren't meaningless Mm -hmm. and we may not even see the meaning but our faith tells us god will work through it and do something that will bring glory to God's name, which is the whole point of our being here. 
The whole point of our existence is not to bring glory to ourselves, but to bring glory to God. So I don't know. I don't know if you agree with that. No, I do. I absolutely do. I love St. Paul. I feel like St. Paul is so good for that. When I read his letters, it does remind me, oh, I am not alone in this. This is not a new thought, as you were mentioning mm-hmm. before. Like none of this, none of these things are new. We can go back from the Old Testament through the Gospels, through the letters. And I do love that about St. Paul, too, that he talks about. I mean, he was suffering. He was imprisoned. He was um, being persecuted, the early church. And, you know, we may feel like right now our church is being persecuted or divided or whatever. And and like you said, this has always been the case. So I think that St. Paul's letters are really good for connecting mm-hmm. into that. I think, I guess my next question is, because this this path of Christianity is is difficult. There are um, times of suffering and consequences. Like, how do we persuade people to join us? Like, what what can we say maybe to to persuade people that this is this is the way, this is the truth, this is the life? <laughs> yeah. So here's a really simple answer. I I really think the way we live our life. Remember earlier when we were talking about does our faith permeate everything we do? So if we call ourselves Christians but we don't treat people well. If we call ourselves Christians, but we don't show Christian hospitality, then no one's actually going to believe we're Christians and they won't be attracted to that. But if we live in a way that shows that God's love flows through our hearts, that's attractive. We don't, and we can even be going through really, really difficult times. And I can mention people in our parish, friends of mine, people I um, am very close to, how they have walked through the most challenging aspects of life. Those, those are true witnesses of what faith is. And those, those experiences that are openly lived are, are hugely um, evangelical, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we know stories back from um, the early beginnings of the church where people were being martyred and as they were being martyred and there were onlookers who looked on the, the faith that, that, um, came through those individuals drew others into the faith as they're being killed. So Mm -hmm. that's the power of God that we don't need to control. All we need to do is say, you know, God, I want to live your love in everything I do and help me do that. And I think if we do that, um, it will be evident. If we seek to do God's will, I love, I always talk about this Thomas Merton prayer where it says, you know, God, I hope that I'm doing your will, but the mm-hmm. the fact that I want to do your will, mm-hmm. that does not actually mean that I'm doing your will. Um, but I do have that desire in all I do. And I know that if I have that desire, that desire to please you does please you. Mm-hmm. And I believe that if I have that desire, you'll get me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. And I just love that because it's so merciful. It's so merciful. Like if God, if I'm truly seeking to do your will, look at Paul. Paul was thinking he was doing God's will as he was persecuting the Christians. And because he was open to what God's will was when Jesus came to him on that road, he was converted. Mm -hmm. So tremendous change can happen if we have a heart for God, you know, Mm -hmm. God knows our hearts. And if we have a heart for God, then I think um, he's going to take us on amazing places. And I think that it will witness in ways that we never can anticipate or know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's all very well said. I think um, if someone is truly 
open and seeking, God mm-hmm. will take that and run with that. And I know that my what you mentioned is true, like my my kind of testimony of I've always been Catholic and was raised Catholic, but I really t- made my faith my own in high school. And it was because of youth group and because I saw some kids in youth group who were just very joyful and had peace even though I know that they're like, they were suffering, like they, I knew their stories and their backgrounds. I knew that their life wasn't perfect, but they had that like joy and that peace. And so me as my like teenage years went on, I was like, I want that peace. I want that joy, even in my times of suffering. So I think you're right. I think that's the witness, um, you know, that our lives aren't perfect. And that kind of goes back to what we were saying too, about like these old Testament and scriptural characters. Said that really well, Julia, by the way, like their lives weren't perfect, but there was something about the way they walked through their life in those imperfections that witnessed to you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, that's the prayer. That's the hope <laughs> with mm-hmm. our, you know, our lives too. And when I, when I am in the classroom, you know, I, I know my students know that I am not perfect and I don't handle every situation <laughs> perfectly, but I hope that they can see deep down that I am like a, a joyful person and a, a peace-filled person because of my faith and that it grounds me and it roots, you know, I hope mm-hmm. that that's the witness that they receive. But um, I want to give you a chance to kind of go back. We've kind of been all over the place, which is great because mm-hmm. you mentioned the, the themes of this verse do go throughout scripture. Um, but I want to draw us back to, is there anything else like that you, that you love about this verse or that you want to call attention to with this verse? Um, any other themes or Um, I think just one of the things I love about it is each time the Israelites or the Christians, each time there's a renewal of this covenant, each time they're starting a new section, this question comes up again. And so I think it's a great reminder to us each time we enter another stage of life, each time um, we're faced with uh, choices to remind ourselves that, um, yes, there is a choice of life and a choice of death. Do I trust God? Am I going to try to control it myself? Um, there's uh, Thomas Merton from Mere Christianity talks about that as well. Like that, and and I actually wrote this quote down. So I, I if if I can share that, I think it's it's really beautiful. Um, C.S. Lewis or mm-hmm. C.S. Okay. Lewis from Mere Christianity. Mm-hmm. He says every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses. It's something a little different than it was before and taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices. All your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature, either into a creature that is in harmony with God and other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven. That is, it is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to one state of the or the other. Um, what I think is beautiful about it is I think it tells the power of our choices but we can always choose to go the other way and turn back to God. And um, I often get asked about heaven and hell by people in my parents' generation, by people my age, by kids. And I always say heaven is being fully in the presence of God. And I think this kind of shows how those choices to continually choose God um, draw us towards heaven and eternally being with God. And hell is the absence of God. And the more we choose to be God ourselves, 
the more we're choosing the curse. I mean, we're choosing the curse. It's so crazy. We're choosing the curse because the curse is separation from God. And so um, I just, I just think the way he says it, all of our choices matter and they're leading us one way or another, but through God's great mercy, we can always turn back and, and, and God always is probing our hearts to draw us closer to him. Oh, that's so well said. You said so many good things there. And that quote, it's like, it's like he read this verse right before he wrote that or something. I don't know if there's a direct. I don't know. But it seems like there there is because it is very much about this verse for sure. And I love how you said, I think sometimes also in our culture, we think that we have to make this one choice or we just put all of our eggs in this one basket. And it really is a series of choices. And we see that through scripture. We see that through our lives. So I like how you mentioned um, the Israelites have all these options to renew their covenant. Like Moses mm-hmm. is constantly being like, choose here or choose, you know, or choose not like to, to come with me or don't, you know, there's, there's that. And it really is so indicative and symbolic of our own journey, which is why I think the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy, it is, it's so our, my, every time I teach this, my students are just like, Oh, the Israelites, why can't they get it right? And I'm like, it's us. Like, this is us, you know, well, like we can't yeah. get it right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I know we're going to, now I'm going to take us down a little teeny track, but <laughs> I often get asked about Pharaoh, like, Oh, poor Pharaoh. Right. And it goes mm-hmm. back to what we talked about earlier. It's this consequences. The more we choose the wrong way, mm-hmm. I think the more it blinds our vision and we're less able to hear God calling us back. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's our doing ourselves. It's that whole idea of the sun can shine on something. And if it's hard, it continue to make it harder because the, they keep resisting the truth. And the more you resist the truth, the harder you are, the more you, the harder you are, the harder it is to turn back. And then the more soft our heart is, the more we desire to do God's will, the more that light softens and changes and God molds our hearts. So, mm. you know, Exodus is, is interesting because you've got Pharaoh, you've got the Israelites, you've got Moses and, um, and we're all of those people at different times in our life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, this has been such an amazing conversation. Um, I, I want to give you a chance, any kind of last takeaways um, before we wrap up here that you'd like us to remember from this verse? Um, I think I, I think Moses said it well. We have before us life and death, the blessing and the curse. Choose life. Just keep choosing life. Choose the life that God desires for us to live in the light of his truth. And, um, and you know, I it, it even, it goes all the way through to the very last chapter of the Bible in Revelation, you know, and, um, you know, that God's constantly there with his grace, probing our hearts, calling us to turn back to, to, um, to the tree of life. So mm-hmm. keep choosing life. I guess that's, that would be my Absolutely. final words. Yeah. Cause like you said, the more that we choose it, the, the not the easier it gets. Cause we talked about that, like the suffering, yeah. it, it doesn't necessarily get easier, but it does in a way like just. I don't know, like, and again, I don't want to take us too off. We're, we're wrapping up here. But like, I mean, it's just like working out. And I use that analogy yep. all the time with the spiritual life. Like the, you know, yes. like it, you can constantly challenge yourself, but um, it will still hurt, you know, <laughs> like the more you push yourself. But there are certain things that do get easier, that routine. So I, I totally agree. That was exactly the analogy I was thinking of. I, yeah. I, I think we become attuned. Yeah. So the more we respond to God's promptings, the more attuned we are. So we realize that he's prompting us. Like we build, like you said, that spiritual muscle. And hopefully that allows us to be more able in the more challenging situations 
to continue to choose life. Absolutely. So we got we all got to start somewhere, and yeah. you know, keep and start building the muscle. So absolutely, oh, we had such a good conversation. Um, at you, the Julia. end, I give um, my guests a chance at the end to like plug anything. So I know you've got oh. like work camp coming up. I don't know if there's yeah. any like resources or anything you want us to check out. Anything you want to plug? Um, so I think the two things I would plug are Catholic Heart Work Camp. Um, we have next week. Um, so a couple hundred people are going to be here in Richmond doing service in our Richmond community. And um, it's it's a beautiful thing. And then in July, we'll be sending kids out to Greensboro to do service there. So I really love this program because I feel it's very inviting without pressuring. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been a beautiful experience in my life for the adults, for the teens. Um, and uh, it's it's been a gift that God has given to me. And the other thing that I would say is one of the most powerful ways in recent years that I've seen people's faith grow is by reading the lectionary. Mm -hmm. Um, And you joined me for a meeting with sixth graders and Mm -hmm. those sixth graders were so amazing. They, they start to realize this applies to our life. And then when they're at mass um, it becomes, it becomes more alive to them and meaningful because they've thought and reflected on the readings before they've gone to mass. So lectionary-based Bible studies, I think, are super helpful for us to be more engaged in mass and see how scripture truly pertains to our, our, our everyday life. I would definitely echo that. And I agree with that. And I, when I was in youth ministry, I did Catholic heart work camps. So I definitely um, would encourage people to check out that program, especially those in youth ministry or kids or parents. Yeah. But one, one other tag on that is, to do a to do a camp here in Richmond, one of the really amazing things is the number of organizations that have to come together to make it happen. So we have St. Bridget's. The kids are actually sleeping at Benedictine. They're taking showers at St. Christopher's and St. Catherine's and Bon Secours Health System. They are actually donating um, a lot of the funds that we need to buy the wood and to make beds and to um, feed the poor and to do all the projects we're doing. Bon Secours has been a huge supporter of Catholic Heart Work Camp here in Richmond since we started having it in 2014. So um, I have to give a plug to them because I, we could not do what we do without all of these agencies um, coming together to make it happen and all the service agencies welcoming and inviting people to come in and serve. So um, I love it for that reason. Yeah, Thank I you. agree with you. I love I. I don't know. It's just especially in our world today where we, again, we feel maybe divided or we feel disconnected. It's so cool to see community is still coming together and we are we are doing that work and, and there are kids participating. And it's it's so cool to see um, if you all would like to learn more about the podcast. You can find me on Instagram at seven mile chats all spelled out. I'm also on Twitter where I tweet a little bit about what I'm doing in my classroom and Catholic education. And that's at Ms. Struckley one M-S-S-T-R-U-K-E-L-Y-1. So you can follow me there. Reach out to me if you'd like to be a guest. But thank you so much, Anne-Marie, for, for doing this. I loved our conversation. Thanks again. I did too. Thank you. Have a great day. I appreciate your inviting me to be a part. Bye, everyone.